Ephesians 5. We are chipping away at verse 18. But the context is 18 to 21. Please follow in the reading of the Holy Word of God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dispensation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Lord, help us. Father, I I thank you that you take this fool and show him things that, Lord, uh, I don't even know how to say thank you. But, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that your spirit will touch their hearts in a way. They will be encouraged. They'll be comforted. And Father, they'd be set on fire for the King of Kings. Help us, Lord, in these strange, strange days. Help us to walk worthy, to walk in humility, to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom, to walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. That song you just sang, there's a in that very first verse, there's a little section there that says, The depth of peace. Anybody get a handle on that yet? The depth of peace. And that is part of what we're looking at here is because we are walking in the wisdom of the ages. He is so wise that he could give a name to every star. That's a lot of names. I mean, you'd have to have like Henry the Eighth and Henry the Ninth and Henry the Eleventh, and and I just no man. Wisdom, and then here in verse eighteen, he makes this statement. It's in a command, but yet in the command is a contrast. The contrast is this. Do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the contrast. And I started this in a general sense. When you read this text, if you think about it, is there any greater fool than a drunk? I mean, they, they seem like they've cornered a market on it. And God bless them. All right? That is the general sense. Okay? You see in our society today, we use stimulants to bring us joy, to bring us happiness. And I'm sure that that was implied in this text when the Apostle Paul wrote it. But remember who he's writing to. Okay, He's writing to a church in Ephesus. Paul is telling us, as the Ephesians, we have a higher life. Where do we seek our joy? Where 
Does the world seek its joy? We get our fullness. We get our comfort. We get our counsel. Our abundant joy all come from the Holy Spirit. Alright, so what, what he's got here in mind, in part, is a very general sense. But I think that many of us miss the main thrust of this text. Okay? I believe, and I will defend it here, that the bulk of this text is theological. This verse Do not be drunk, be filled with the Spirit. I believe it has huge religious undertones. Okay, but we, in our day and age, kind of just blow through that and say, well, you know, he doesn't want us to be a fool, so let's not get hammered. Makes sense. But he's also speaking of religious system of the day. And I want to spend this time to be specific. We've seen last week I looked at the general. the Public intoxication in the name of joy, happiness, whatever. We do not understand, most of you do not understand, drunkenness was associated with all pagan religions. Intoxication of some type. See, the pagans believed to commune with the gods, you had to alter your state of mind. You would get drunk. You would get intoxicated. You would get yourself into a stupor. You see it throughout historical writings of the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. The greater your stupor, the higher the communion with the gods. To the point where they started learning if they would take opiate, opium, and hashish, and mix them together, and then it would help them consume larger amounts of alcohol. Don't ask me how I know that. But... When you did that, that would modify your brain in such a way that you wouldn't be getting prone to being sick too quickly. The greater the stupor, the higher the communion. Okay? Go through your New Testament and look around. And how many times do you run into this phrase? Mystery religion. Babylon's a mystery religion. We look through history, we can see the Greek and the Romans mythological religious systems. Okay? You could commune with the gods, and they called it ecstasia enthusiasa. That's what it was called. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go hang out with the gods. Ecstasia enthusiasa. Whoop whoop. Basically, what they would do is work themselves into a frenzy. One of the things about intoxication, whether it's opiums, hashish, alcohol, 
is that somewhere in there, your morals change. And this is a thing that I warn Christians about. I don't care if you drink. Do you know when your morals change? Okay? Because they will change. It might be with one. It might be with two. It might be with three. But they will change. And they don't walk up to you and say, your morals have changed. Okay? Your morals will change. And that's what this religious system would do. They would work themselves into a frenzy. They would take some opium and or some hashish, throw a bunch of alcohol on top of it, wave goodbye to anything that even come close to a moral decision, and it would become a frenzy. During these, they would consume all of this stuff to assist in their communion with the gods. Not much has really changed. See, if you get high, you get a higher level of consciousness. I heard that in the late 60s. It hasn't gone away. It's still out there. You can commune on a higher plane. A man named Timothy O'Leary was a big proponent of LSD. Hallucinate so you can understand the reality of humanity. I've seen him interviewed on talk shows. Phil Donahue, a guy who's promoting LSD. Let's sit down and chit-chat. Wonderful. This is what the mystics were into. This is what the occult is into. The Native Americans used to take a sweat lodge, fill it full of smoke, and eat psilocybin mushrooms so that they could what? Talk to their relatives, the ones who are dead. Okay? I used to know a guy who was a distributor of narcotics, and he used to have numerous customers who were of the occult. And uh, they were very solid business people, and he would have them different things that they felt like they needed, and he would bring it up to the places that they met and uh, distributed it among the people preparing for worship. Okay? This was all to get involved in a higher level of consciousness. And it's nothing new. Truth of the matter is, it's right out of paganism. Now, I'm going to give you the history of this. Okay? I told you guys I have this flaw of I love history. Because I can take history and follow it over and say, boy, we're stupid. No. <laughs> we ain't learned a thing. The greatest God ever? Zeus. Greek mythology. Zeus had a lady friend, a priestess, a goddess, Simile. But Zeus was so glorious, no one could look upon him without being incinerated. But somehow he managed to get Simile pregnant. 
Okay, they can never be together. I don't know how that works. Uh, if you think that's weird, hang on. Okay, anybody got into the glory of Zeus was turned to ashes instantaneously. So Simile, the goddess, is with Zeus's child. And as women would have it, Simile said, if I've got Zeus's child, I should be able to see Zeus. So she burst in to see Zeus. Guess what happened? She was turned to ashes. But Zeus saved the baby. And he took the baby out and he sewed it into his thigh until the baby could reach full-born. Okay? This was an infant God. He would become the ruler of the world. But the world was ruled by things called titans. Titans, sub-gods. Titans. They were already there. They were called the sons of earth. They run the place. Zeus put the baby on earth. What do you suppose the titans did? Tore it apart and ate it. All but the heart which Zeus saved. Zeus swallowed the heart. And shortly thereafter gave birth to the baby again. That's what Greek mythology teaches. The baby's name? Dionysides. Okay? That name in any mystery religion is all over the place. Dionysus. Okay? Over and over. It even shows up in the Babylonian religions and the Persian religions. A Greek god child. Well, when he was born and placed on the earth the second time, of course, Zeus had a little temper tantrum with the titans. And he rained lightning on all of them, and they immediately turned to ash. No more titans. And then out of the ash was raised the human race. And you guys think Genesis is stupid. (laughs) Okay? This is Greek religion. Now you guys know. Dionysus was in control of the earth. So being in control of the earth and these new human ashes walking around, he needed to design a religion where he would be worshipped. He believed that if the humans can be raised out of ash, then humans could rise to divine consciousness. They can rise to commune with the gods because they would be worshiping him and he wanted them to be all involved. And it was a religion of ecstasy and enthusiasm or ecstasy and emotion. That's how you worshiped. 
It's uh, described by some of the ancient writers as, quote, wild music, dancing madness, sexual perversion was encouraged, all induced by intoxication. Again, intoxication re- removes uh, my inhibitions. <laughs> I become freer. So, they meet together. They begin with music. Dancing. This becomes frenzied as the priestesses would come out. Very, if clothed at all, very scantily. It would build up. They would slaughter a bull. And everybody would take turns eating the raw flesh of the bull. During this time, a little hash, a little opium, large amounts of alcohol. And then the priestesses would cry out in the midst of the orgy, Come thou Savior to Dionysus. Okay? That was their worship. It was known for its music, dancing, crazy ecstasies, enthusiasm, sexual perversion, and it was all stirred by drunkenness, intoxication, to the point that Dionysus became known as the god of wine. Keep keep with me. I know you're all sitting there going, what are you doing with the baby in your thigh? But anyway. <laughs> the core of this concept of drunkenness is an evil, vile, pagan counterfeit of true worship. All right? Paul saying to the Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine is not dealing with just a social problem. It has a theological issue that is way, way, way deeper. It's satanic. Did you get that? Did you figure that out? Okay, just making sure. This is more than forbid social partying. This is Satan's counterfeit. This is, listen, you guys know my background. This is the way Satan captures minds and is extremely successful. And he will do it in a way to make you think you're going to get closer to God. That's how he draws men and women into his system. Through the God of wine. Okay, that's Greek. When the Romans destroyed the Greek Empire... They didn't change anything, just the names. Dionysus was still there. But the Romans said, Nope, we shall call him Bacchus. Have you ever been to a Bacalorian feast? I have. You couldn't go to college when I was a kid and not stumble into one somewhere. Okay? That comes from Dionysus. Bacchus is what they called him. 
the God of wine. It's really cool because if you go look at ancient writings, you see Dionysus. You know, you keep thinking, this is the son of Zeus ruling the earth. And they've got him out like he's a court jester. He's a very jolly, tubby guy. He's very jovial. He's got nymphs with flutes hitter, there, there, and everywhere. And he's just the granddad of having a good time. Worship was the same, whether it was Bacchus or Dionysus. This is what is behind the scenes of what Paul is talking about here. This is not just social. This is theological. To these Ephesians, your background is what? What was the largest temple in Ephesus? Dionysus. Bacchus. And I just described to you how they worshiped there. That was their culture. That was the culture that had come out of the Greeks and was transferred over to the Romans. It's a Roman capital now. So it's still the same. Paul is saying, if you really want to commune with the one true God, how do you do it? Be filled with His Spirit. Think about it for a second. Your whole culture is in some kind of mind-altering intoxication so you can worship. And Paul is saying, no, be filled with the Spirit. Remember what I told you last week? In a general sense, what we use stimulants for? Artificial joy. The world uses artificial stimulants today for artificial worship. Do you want the highest level of religious consciousness? I see when people say, I just can't feel him. I can't feel him. You want it? Enter the presence of God through the filling of the Spirit of God. All right? The corruption of this worship was behind the Corinthian problems. Some of you will remember. I'll take you back and remind you. The Corinthian problem is a major problem that exists today in the United States. Not so much other places. Or... uh, Other places that I've been. Europe is dead. England is dead. I I fear that the United States is dying. And what I mean spiritually. okay. Other places where you tend to have an oppressive government, the church is strong, rock solid strong. But the things of the world don't influence them. As with Corinth, as in the United States today, The problem was we don't release ourselves from the evil system. We don't separate ourselves from the world. Go look. Go look. 1963, a conference for the unity of churches in London, England. John Stott was there. Pink was there. Packard was there. Olford was there. The good doctor was there. All of these, all different backgrounds. You got Presbyterian, Brethren, Baptists, all of them, they all come together. 
for a unity statement. Even the Church of England was there. You know what they said was killing the church in England? Music. Music. You are bringing the world's music in and you are stirring up the emotions of the people into a false form of worship. And they gave a warning to the United States. Because shortly thereafter, uh, some of you will remember, I remember, the British invasion. Okay? And it wasn't a bunch of redcoats. Like there's beetle boots and beetle haircuts. Okay? Go listen to the music in the church today. Some churches. Some churches. Too many don't separate themselves from the world. And so when they get into church, and I've seen this, I've been to a couple of churches here in Castle Rock and go, oh my God. (laughs) It is a false enthusiasm. And this false enthusiasm has been drug into the church. It was drug into the church in Corinth. It was being drug into the church in Ephesus. Anywhere that you see the influence of the Greek or the Roman empires and or both, it was there. That's the community. Listen, I'll remind you about the book of First Corinthians. If they had cliques in their pagan lives, guess what? They had cliques in their church lives. We don't have that, do we? If they had hero worshipers in their pagan lives, guess what? Carried over to the church. If they had philosophers in their pagan lives, carried it into the church. If they could sue people in their pagan life, these are all things that Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians. If they were proud and egotistical in their pagan life, they bring it into the church. If they had problems in their marriage and their pagan lives, you guys boast that a man has his dad's wife. You're boasting on that. That was in the church. If they didn't understand gifts because it was a static babble or all of this high, lofty, angelic talk, then they carried it into the church. They did not understand the true gifts. They knew emotion. They knew enthusiasm. They knew ecstasy. They never would understand prophecy in tongues. And without understanding the pagan world, in which they lived, they just brought it over. Everything was counterfeited in the Corinthian church. Much in the church in America is counterfeited. Much in the church in America has its basis in Dionysus, paganism. And they brought it into the body of Christ. Listen, That's corruption. It is the perversion of the things of God. 
Okay. In the early church, first century, and in the church today, what command, what order was given to the believers that God brought to our remembrance as the highest act of worship? It's an ordinance. What is the highest act of worship that a believer can partake in? The Lord's table. The Lord's table. You know what they call it? Communion. What have I just been saying that you wanted to do with Dionysus and the drugs, booze, and pills, and party? Communion. The Lord Himself designed His Last Supper to lift us into His presence and the power of His resurrection. There is no higher communion. There is no higher consciousness because this is the one was designed to remember Him. It was designed for us to come with Him to His table. See, there is no greater honor than to sit at the King's table. There is no greater. And He says, you want communion with God? Do this in remembrance of me. And the Corinthians were used to coming into God's presence through what? Drunkenness. Intoxication. So guess what they did when it came to the Lord's table? Chapter 10, verse 16. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread with which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not all of those who eat of the sacrifice shares of the altar? What does Ephesians start out in chapter 1? There is no Jew, there is no Gentile. We are one. We have one faith, one body, one baptism. Verses 16 and 17, we are coming with Christ and we are one body with Christ. The body of Christ. So to take enthusiasm and ecstasy, and intoxication, and mix it with the Lord's table, is the body of Christ mixed with demonic idols. Verse 20, I say that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, to sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to become sharers with demons. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of 
demons. 22 should wake us all up. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? That never ends well. Just in case. We are not stronger than he, are we? You think you can take him two out of three? Drunkenness with demons is a higher communion than partaking of the Lord's table in remembrance of him. You know, I see people at times, and and then I understand it, that partake of the Lord's table in a very somber way. I understand that. Not me, man. (laughs) I'm at the king's table. I'm doing what he said, and I'm doing this in remembrance of him. And I proclaim him until he returns. It is a celebration for me. I mean, I've had the cup of demons. Oh, but the cup of the Lord, man, rattles your universe. That's the difference. Now, don't get all squirrely on me. Well, it's just a thing, you know, when he was crucified. Get over it. He's dead and rose again. Guess what? He's coming back. They're going to blow the horn and everybody is going to be ready. So I heard the other day, somebody was asking MacArthur who the Antichrist is. He says, he says, well, what do you think his name is? He says, well, if you know his name, you missed it. I was like, yeah, you're right. Okay. But you see what I'm trying to get at? This is urgent. And yet I know churches who are very flippant about the Lord's table. Uh, I know a church that does it randomly. He may do it once a year, may do it twice in a month. He's gone two years before without the Lord's table. And I'm sitting there going, but I thought he told me to do this in remembrance of him. There is no higher communion than the cup of remembrance and that you are not your own. You have been bought, paid for with the price, and you are the private property of the creator of existence. Don't get any better than that. On over. Uh, most of you know that when you do the Lord's table, it's in the middle of chapter 11. Look at chapter 11, verse 19. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Do you know what he just said? If you got bickering among you, you ain't eating the Lord's table. How do you eat the Lord's table if you're bickering? For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry and another's drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? And this I will not praise you. 
What he's saying is, is if you're doing it, you're not taking to the Lord's table. If you're getting drunk at the Lord's table, you ain't partaking in the Lord's table. I don't care what you call it. You may call it that, but the truth of the matter is, the Bible says it's nothing but gluttony and drunkenness. Paul's already told us that it's the table of demons. And that is the way you were before. Listen, back in our text in Ephesians, please understand when you read this, do not be drunk, but be filled. You just got a picture of what was behind the scenes. It's a contrast. It's a contrast to the false religious systems that are out there. It's between a satanic counterfeit and divine reality that is true worship. See that? See how that was laid right in there? The greatest temple in Ephesus? Bacchus. Dionysus. And people in Ephesus, as in Corinth, were taking their old uh, habits, traditions, and bringing them in. And Paul's saying, you can't do that. Not to walk in wisdom. Not to walk in unity. Not to walk in light. Not to walk in love. Not to walk in humility. And you're going to be nowhere near walking worthy. See what the Lord's table is? Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we are communing with the creator of existence at his table. At his table. I think that's awesome. And I'm closing with prayer. Father, thank you that uh, we do commune with you through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us is bought and paid for. Father, we love you. Father, I praise you. Sometimes history drives me nuts, but every once in a while, Lord, you say, see, thank you. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would not fall in to the things of this world as we draw upon you, but that we would be filled with your spirit, that we would know joy abundantly, that we would know the depths of peace, that we would have life abundantly, and that, Father, we'd be overwhelmed with your majesty and grace as we continue to press on to the upward calling of Christ. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for these precious people. Father, uh, again, I lift up uh, Ron and Tommy uh, for their salvation. But Lord, I also lift up our sister Neva. Lord, as uh, she's in a test. And yet, fill her with your spirit. And may she be, may be overwhelmed with your peace should be overwhelmed with your joy and that, Father, your glory would shine forth through this amazing stuff. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.